You're listening to The Gay Pro, where we empower gay business professionals from any industry to love who they are and love what they do. I'm your host, Omar Alexis Ochoa. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody, and Happy New Year. It is finally 2020, a new year, a new decade, which means new experiences. And I am so excited to be sharing my first new experience of the year with you all, my very first podcast interview. It's with someone I'm ecstatic for you to meet. So let's just jump in. Let me introduce you to Adafe Okporo. He is an incredible leader and advocate for LGBTQIA rights, but also for the rights of refugees in the United States. A businessman, writer, and refugee himself, Adafe has lived an incredibly accomplished and extraordinary life. Here's a quick summary on Adafe and his life, which you can also read on his website, adafeokporo.com. Adafe Okporo was born in Wari, Nigeria, and currently lives in New York City. He is a writer, and his memoir, Bed 26, was published in 2018. Idafe is a businessman and the executive director of RDJ Refugee Shelter in Harlem, New York. He identifies as a gay man, which is actually what led to his displacement in 2016. Idafe is now a refugee of the United States. He has since founded The Pont LLC, a full-service media company helping brands tell their stories and empowering communities through storytelling. His work has been featured on Now This, NBC New York, The Advocate, and the Thompson Reuters Foundation, to name just a few. However, above all, Adafe teaches leaders how to inspire their teams and how to grow a meaningful community. He has worked with government officials, both profit and nonprofit organizations, and educators on building bridges. Idafe is joining me remotely from New York City. Idafe, thank you so much for coming on. It's truly a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm so excited I'm here to speak with you about my experience today. Of course, we are extremely fortunate to have you on the podcast. You are incredibly accomplished. So I suppose where I'd like to begin is with your work in media. What inspired you to start The Pont? So that's a very good question. <laughs> the media is something that people think you start at one time in your life or another. I think is a continuum. Everybody should be a media company before anything that they do. So I started the Point LLC to help mm-hmm. tell the stories of immigrants. Because immigrants and LGBTQ people in general have been commodified. The commodification of black LGBTQ people is like, we see your talent, we see what you do, but you are nobody mm-hmm. except that talent. So the purpose of the Point is to help create that persona and image that people are who they are despite their careers or whatsoever entity that is placed before them. So seeing yourself as a publisher or as a media house, we help you to create the narratives and help you to take back your story 
from people that have been telling it all wrong. Because only you or only the community which is affected have the power to tell the story in a way that we make them victors and not victims. I completely agree with your take on the commodification of queer people and people of color. The tokenization of these marginalized groups within media and the lack of queers and people of color in the writers' rooms especially is actually something that reminds me of a panel discussion I was fortunate enough to attend recently in North Hollywood. Uh, Gina Yashere, who is a writer for the television show Bob Hart's Abishola, uh, actually comments on this exact thing. Uh, when she came on to write with Chuck Lorre and the team, one of the very first things she stated that she sought to do was to bring more people of color into the room, as Bob Hart's Abishola is actually one of the very first network television shows in America to feature a Nigerian family. So it was actually important to Gina to bring on people with relevant cultural experiences to truly tell the story correctly. So what would you say is the biggest project that you've worked on in helping tell a queer or person of color story right during your time working on The Pont? So when I came to United States, I didn't know that, you know, like, like, specifically, I would say, I didn't know that black or queer people are mm -hmm. being commoditized. So I went about doing things like I used to do. And I discovered that up to when I go into a room and leave the room, the headline that is written after I leave the room is different from the headline that was discussed while I was in the room. Mm -hmm. So I worked with Indeed is a job website that helped to create job uh, accessibility for queer immigrants mm -hmm. who relocate to this country. So I spoke with them and I told them that most of the times the persona about immigrants that come to this country is like they come here just to sap from our resources. So mm -hmm. the team discussed with me to frame up messages that are positive about immigrants. So if you go to indeed.com slash job change us, you will see some of the stories I produce about immigrants, LGBTQ people who came to the U.S., and they came with their own livelihood. But they have to learn how to rebuild their life in a new country, which is double the, the amount of effort it would take an American to find a job. Because mm -hmm. they now have to like rewrite their resume from a, from a West African or an Asian star to a U.S. star resume. And they have to learn how to dress appropriately. People that wear different kind of clothing have to start wearing a suit or mm -hmm. uh, a nice pants for you to believe that they are part of the society. So Job Changers is a, is a media work I have done to create a narrative that shows that people are beyond what you see. They have more qualities than just their appearance, their accents, or whatsoever you see on paper. Right, exactly. And even hearkening uh, back to one of the earlier podcast episodes that I um, actually covered on was uh, related to the human rights campaign and how uh, there are several studies uh, that have been published on things like the gay wage gap and how organizations um, 
orient themselves towards benefiting and bringing in, you know, more queer talent with more queer oriented benefits and, you know, other programs. And one of the points that I was able to really uh, find was one of the drivers of a gay wage gap in some studies has been shown to be that oftentimes when it comes to like a resume or uh, anything on paper, online profiles, LinkedIn, those things, um, there is some inherent bias against uh, you know, whether it's people of color or people on the LGBTQIA plus spectrum, uh, that does have tangible impacts in how, uh, say, uh, how often they're hired or whether or not they go through the interview process. And it's unfortunate to know that this sort of uh, discrimination uh, exists. And especially for queer people, especially for people of color who uh, come from other regions and areas or have experiences that are specific to say that culture like having um lgbt leadership roles on your resume or having um uh say a less common uh surname uh things that, that, is, in, that, that right. is true and that is why i created the point because if your destiny is in the hands of somebody else mm -hmm. you cannot be able to control it because it's out of your control queer media and queer leadership in general have left the responsibility of changing the narrative in the hands of other people that don't know their struggle. So they will continue to write about their struggle from the experiences they have, not until queer people find themselves in the position to create job or to be able to influence inclusivity and how the messages are being written about them there will be no tangible change. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you on that. It's important to have diverse people in the room. And that's uh, definitely one of the uh, big points that I try to make on every every podcast episode. So I guess this brings me to my next question is, um, you know, for all these reasons, why do you think storytelling is important not only for brands, but for communities? So this is the most important ingredient of the human society, storytelling. If we behave, how we behave is because of the stories we have been told. I grew up as a Christian. I never knew anything about the Muslim religion or paganism or any other religion. And I believe that every other person will go to hell if they don't become Christian. So the stories we are told shape who we become. If we decide to start telling different stories, the next generation of people that are coming will believe those stories we are told. The gay generation that are between the ages of 50 to 75 years, they literally died for us to survive. Then the gay generation between the age of 50 to 25 years are supposed to live so that the next generation will believe that being able to form a family is part of the gay story. So stories shape who we are. So we cannot be able to change the narrative without telling a different story. And whose responsibility it is to tell the story, if not us. So this actually brings me to um, kind of like a side note. Um, there was a movie that had recently come out, uh, not, not recently, maybe in the last year or so, uh, called Love, Simon. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but um, yeah. it's, a, it's a gay love story, essentially. And uh, there were really two schools of thought on this movie and it was oh you know it was a really 
it was a really good movie. It's, you know, it's gay, positive, it's a gay story. Um, and then the other side of the camp was saying, oh, uh, you know, this movie isn't really gay enough. It's kind of like any other love story. It's not a special movie. Um, and the only reason I bring it up is because when it comes to storytelling and seeing yourself represented in media, I'm on, I'm on the side of the camp that says, I think the movie Love, Simon is, you know, a simple, you know, Disney Channel love story uh, that every kid, you know, growing up saw, uh, but they were straight stories. This is the one kind of crappy young movie that young gay people watching things on TV and watching things um, on like Disney or whatever else um, get to see. So even though it's not, say, a film that is critically acclaimed and winning all of the awards, I think it says something about the movement of society, at least here in the United States, um, that the gays or people on the queer spectrum overall now have their very own, you know, sappy teen drama movie, which is Love, Simon. And, you know, they can't all be award winners. Um, and I think that says something about how it's becoming more widely accepted and more commonplace um, for something as simple as, you know, a, a movie like this to be shared and uh, experienced. So, you know something? Gradually, the stories will become more and more gay and more and more diverse. But they have to be a starting point. And if this is the beginning of such stories being told in media, then we should take it for what it is. Remember the first time you ever saw a gay character on a series? Mm -hmm. You celebrated it for what it is. At the same time, we shouldn't be satisfied. We should continue to push, but we should also rejoice what we have been able to gain. Capitalism has shaped the way we think as a society, that people do not appreciate the amount of effort it took, how many people died for gay people to be able to get to the point in society, thereby they are even appreciated for who they are. If you saw the movie, The Lavada's Care, the documentary, mm -hmm. gay people were not allowed to be employed by the federal government for so many years. And in the military, you can't be able to be gay. At least now, there are significant representation mm -hmm. like Mayor Pete Buttigieg contesting for president. The reason why is that people like us came out and said, we want to tell our stories. We want to change the narrative of how people see us. So if you think that people are not doing enough, then go and contribute to what is already being done. Negativity does not improve the fight for equality. Every action we take is drawing us closer and removing some boundaries for the younger generation to face. The fight we fight is not the fight that people before us fought. So things are improving, but we should not be satisfied. That is what I would say. There's always more work that can be done. And just because, you know, some of the trials and tribulations that people, uh, queer people or people of color, whoever face today, maybe aren't as bad or maybe slightly better versus uh, historically what people have faced, it doesn't mean that we should, of course, settle. Uh, there's always work to be done. Mm -hmm. So I want to pivot just a bit onto your experience as the executive director of the RDJ Refugee Shelter. So I guess the first question is, how did you become the executive director of this organization? 
So I think it was based on my experience as a refugee who was displaced. In 2016, I came to the U.S. seeking asylum. Mm -hmm. I was detained in immigration detention center. When I was granted asylum, I was released. I have nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. And I later find my way through all these difficulties. And when I was living my life working in New Jersey, it always occurred to me that, Daphne, when you came to this country, if you had had a place to go to, you wouldn't have been homeless. So mm-hmm. I, I thought about it, that the best way for me to give back is to use my experience to help people who might be going through the same process I was going through. So when I saw the availability at RDJ, I applied for the job. And now I've taken the job from what it was like just a director that was doing both case management mm-hmm. and communication and everything to a full-fledged organization of 4.5 staff. So we are still growing, but we are the only organization in New York City that provide housing for asylum seekers and refugees mm-hmm. who happen to be LGBTQ. Gay people in seven-plus countries, gay people are punishable by being stoned to death. Mm-hmm. In more than 75-plus countries, it's illegal to be gay. So people flee from Russia, Iran, West Africa, Angola, and even Uganda, and transgender people from Central America, when they come to America, mm-hmm. they don't have a place to live in. So working as a director for ROGJ, I'm both helping LGBTQ people and displaced people to help them find their feet in a new country. Because I've been able to do that for myself. I always mm-hmm. use myself as a motivation to others to let them know that I did it. They too can do it. Yeah, no, definitely. Leading by example um, and providing, you know, from your experiences, providing a framework and uh, some hope for people that come from, you know, these places all around the world uh, to live a better life here in the United States. So would you say that is uh, what you value most by serving as the shelter's executive director? I wouldn't say that. I think that the most important thing that I valued most was to be free to be who I want to be because Mm -hmm. I was a professional in Nigeria, but people do not value my skills because I was gay. Mm -hmm. So being free to be creative, to be gay or not gay as my private life and to be able to lead an organization and be an entrepreneur and create businesses for people and to still be myself as a gay person, Mm -hmm. I think that's the most valuable thing coming to the United States is to live in a more inclusive society that mm-hmm. people do not judge me only based on my sexual orientation, that in places people judge me based on my ability and based on what I can contribute as a human being. So what can you say uh, listeners can do to help the shelter? So listeners, wherever they are, you can contribute by visiting our website, www.rogjrefugeeshelter.org slash donate to donate. But there are so many LGBTQ organizations all around the country. I think that people who have gotten experience in -hmm. professional um, feed can use their experiences to help little community-based organizations that are looking for someone with a finance degree 
to help them with their ESA and balance their account at the end of the year. Someone mm-hmm. who has skills in grammar or English to help write resume for the immigrants that migrate to this country, they happen to be LGBTQ, or just be a friend to somebody. Because by speaking with them, they become more culturally appropriate to be able to survive in a new country. So whatsoever you do, ask yourself what privileges that I have that other people do not have. And how can I use my privileges for the benefits or the good of others? That itself is the highest service you can give to others. So I have a couple of questions on your memoir, Bed 26. Um, What do you hope readers will gain from reading this book? And what did you gain from writing it? So when I was growing up as a gay child in Nigeria, Mm -hmm. I never saw books, videos, audios about people being gay. So when I was writing Bed 26, Mm -hmm. the first thing was to have that representation of gay African people in a book. Secondly, Bed 26 was my bed number. When immigrants come to America, they lose their name to numbers. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to document my experience to let people know that the person behind that bed number was a human being. So I want listeners to be able to understand the experiences of immigrants, why people flee, and for people in my country to know that they too exist and there's somebody like them somewhere. So how would you say uh, the treatment of refugees and immigrants in the U.S. should be changed? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is a question I don't think <laughs> I don't think I can answer alone. Because it's, it's a policy issue. It's, it's at a federal level. Mm-hmm. Because the president of the country and the administration shape how mm-hmm. people view the perception of immigrants. The largest, the largest voice we have is the president of the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And if the president is pursuing, pursue, um, portraying immigrants as people who are leeches, a larger percentage of the society will see immigrants that way. I think the best way for us to change our perception about immigrants is to hear their stories, learn about who they are. Because when you hear somebody's stories, it changes your perception of who that person are. Let's look at the generation of people that came before us. When the Irish came, they were pushed back against them. Before JFK became a Catholic president, they have never been a Catholic president mm-hmm. in America. When the Italian came, nobody regarded them as white. When Jews came, they said Jews will not replace us. Now it might be Muslims or it might be gay people. So when we have, when we have barriers to accepting people, we should become more curious to learn about those people because when you understand people more than just your biases, you get to be able to see how you can help those people because you mm-hmm. have known beyond your biases. So I think people should be more curious to learn the reasons why immigrants flee to the United States. So what are some obstacles that since after coming to the United States that you're still facing as a refugee or a gay man or, you know, anything about life here in the United States? 
before I came to the United States, I never knew that being black was something different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's not an obstacle because I live in New York City. Mm -hmm. But I don't like the fact that people are being commodified. They praise you for doing something brilliant. But when something goes bad as an immigrant, they don't say that immigrant was bad. They're like, all immigrants are bad people because this one immigrant did something bad. But when a white cis person did something bad, a white gay man, a, a white straight man raped a child, they'll be like, Avin Weinstein is bad. Jeffrey mm -hmm. Epstein is bad. They would not say all white men are bad. Mm -hmm. So I think that something that bothers me is the generalization of anything bad between all immigrants, all gay people, all black people. All gay people are pedophiles. All black people are criminals. All immigrants are drug people. So that generalization still bothers me because it's something we have control over if we can be able to understand that these biases we have are inert based on our growing up and the images that have been taught about these people to us. So it's like using a single story mm -hmm. to define an entire people. Right. And then hearkening back to your comments on the power of storytelling, you know, really it is sharing that one story that could change the perspective for, uh, you know, people, you know, out in the United States or wherever that they don't get the experience of uh, meeting and working with uh, a man from Nigeria or a gay person or a person of color. Um, it's sharing that story that could very well change their perspective. Sure. And that is the most important thing is understanding that our stories are very important. How we say it matters. Who we say it to matters. So I have a couple of questions on your life in Nigeria. You touched on it previously in how you saw really no representation of gay people or queer people at all while living in Nigeria, and it was part of the reason that you were displaced. Can you describe from your experiences what being gay is like in Nigeria? <sighs> so this is tough to explain, but I would try. Mm -hmm. When I came to the U.S., I came because I was fleeing persecution from my own country, Nigeria. Mm -hmm. Where people in Nigeria faced up to 14 years imprisonment for being gay. So it is hard to explain what it takes to be a gay man in Nigeria. But from the law, you can understand that gay people mm -hmm. in Nigeria can face up to 14 years imprisonment mm -hmm. and this leads to a lot of non-state actors acting on behalf of the government blackmail extortion mm -hmm. and constantly in denial of who you are to be able to please people so do you know of any movements or rights organizations that could use support out there in nigeria yeah so um there's so many there's one of them that I walked with why I was in Nigeria. It's called mm -hmm. TS, the Initiative for Equal Rights. So regarding your asylum here in yeah. the United States, I found a little 
note related to your memoir that said you were actually granted asylum in the U.S. just before the election of President Donald Trump. How would you say sure. the landscape has changed since then? I was granted asylum after Trump became president, but I came a few days before the election of President Donald Trump. Working, I can speak from my experience as the director of Aradigia Refugee Shelter that asylum has changed in America. The Trump administration have tried to fight against immigrants who are living in this country because all the policies they have passed, like the first in, mm -hmm. last out, is, it now takes 21 days before the grant of asylum. Usually, you have time to file your application and do so many other things. A lot has changed under the Trump administration. There's now public charge law that if an immigrant is taking mm -hmm. benefit from the government, they might not be eligible for protection. Temporary protected status is no longer available for women who are survivors of violence. Just a lot keep on mm -hmm. happening every day and night to erase immigrants from coming to this country. The worst of all is the safe third country whereby mm -hmm. asylum seekers can stay in Guatemala or the Triangle. This is disastrous. Those were all the questions I had, but are there any last words or uh, messages you really want to hammer in on storytelling or immigration or refugees that you really want the audience to take away? Ah, in final words, I would say that if you hear the story of somebody that touches you, it is imperative that you don't go and become or live with the ignorance by ignoring that story. It is good that you learn not just the story, but how you could contribute in bettering the life of others. Because if we continuously change the narrative by using one person to help another, everybody can be able to learn from, hey, this person is trying to be a good person in this world. What can I also do? to try to do that. We should just try to always look for opportunities to help people, to make the world less heavy for people that do not have the same privileges we have. Adafe, thank you so much. It was fantastic having you on. You're welcome. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure the audience is going to love it. So again, thank you so, so much, and I appreciated hearing your story. My pleasure. Thank you so, so much for listening. This was my first podcast interview, so if you enjoyed it, please make sure to let me know by rating and writing something in the reviews. I'm always looking forward to what you have to say, and it really does help. Also, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and check out my website at thegaypro.com for a ton more content.